Welcome to Narratives and Nightcaps. In today's mini episode, we're talking about historical fiction, our recent reads in that genre, any recommendations, or authors. So, welcome. Welcome. I'm Megan. Oh, I'm Bree. I don't know if we're still doing that, but I did. (laughs) That's that's us. That's who we are. And this is a favorite genre for both of us, for sure. Yeah, um, it was, I, so in my write-up, I also try to include, like, non-World War II authors you might be interested in, because everything I have is World War II, so that's okay. That's, it's just a really easy genre to fall into. It is. So, we, we're, when we get to mine, too, so I was trying to do, well, so I listed, like, two, and I was like, okay, those are both very World War II-esque let me try to pull another one. And I was like, oh, I have one. This is great. And then I thought about it some more and I go, eh, it does technically start in World War II. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a majority of it. So it's, it's a piece. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, So I, I liked what we did on our last mini episode and wanted to define historical fiction and then um so i went to dictionary.com just see what's up and then i went to um there's a awesome masterclass article about i i think it's like more geared to authors who might want to write historical fiction um but they had some really great information including five common elements of historical fiction that i also wanted to touch on so Dictionary.com defines historical fiction as the genre of literature, film, etc., comprising of narratives that take place in the past. Um, there's no definite piece of time. It just has to be in the past and are characterized chiefly by imaginative reconstruction of historical events and personages. Masterclass goes on to take that a little bit further and I think clarify a little bit, but Um, They are historical novels that capture the details of a time period as accurately as possible for authenticity, including social norms, manners, customs, traditions that goes further into like slang, dress, etc. Many novels in this genre tell historical stories that involve actual figures or can involve actual figures or events, a.k.a. World War II. (laughs) real stuff (laughs) um you make me think of and I can't remember I can't recall the author but she had posted something on probably Instagram because that's about the only place that I consume social media Mm -hmm. um and she posted something about how writing historical fiction is so odd because one second you're you know knee deep in what your characters are doing and the next second you're googling when towels were invented because you i was like that's so true it is yeah i mean and you have to think about like the the invention of things if you're going to mention it like was freaking cling wrap invented around this time no so you can't cover your tupperware with clean wrap it didn't exist you got to put lids on that tupperware Do you even have lids? You did, have- did Tupperware exist? It just, yeah, you have to really know your your history and that time period specifically. Um, so Masterclass goes on to further say, specifically relating to the U.S., um, historical fiction became popular in the early early 20th century with focus on 
war stories, of course. That's really how you grip your audience. <laughs> Give them a war and they'll read about it. So the, the mentions were more so like the Civil War, World War One, etc. But obviously World War II fits into that too. Um, and then, so the five common elements of historical fiction, and I'm sorry, this is long. I tried to parse it down as much as I could, but I um, just want to touch on some of these things. So first, the setting. Obviously, the most important part of your historical fiction novel. You need to know where it takes place, and it needs to be um, an authentic time in history, but it's set in a real place or close to a real place. Um, so some examples of that are like New York City during the Depression, Paris, France during World War II. Um, in this case, The Lost Apothecary that we just read was set in and around England, even if it wasn't necessarily the real street names or anything like that. Um, the second biggest element is your plot. So you have to have a combination of real events and fictional events that would have taken place. And that's just to give it your relevance. Like that's how you can compose your time period is having those correct elements in your plot. Um, so you can invent characters and cities and events, but they still have to make sense to the time period. Third, your characters. They have to be either real or fiction or both, but they all need to look, speak, and act in ways that reflect the current era that you are trying to depict. Four is dialogue. So obviously you're not going to use today's slang in a World War II piece because no one knows what that means. So your dialogue, the way your characters speak, especially if you're going to use slang or um, even like abbreviations of words, it has to be specific to how that time period would have spoken. And then lastly is conflict. So your characters have to encounter conflicts that people of that specific era would encounter. So your World War II people aren't gonna be having problems with their iPhones. They're gonna be dealing with famine. <laughs> Something along those lines. <laughs> not funny as we laugh. No. But it's funny. Yeah. Not, not funny at all. I don't think any of this is funny. <laughs> I think it just makes it all the more impressive and to know how much thought and detail has to go into all of these and the entire character development and yeah and the dialogue like it's really impressive i mean you you have to become a historian you have to become an expert in especially if you do you know a multi-book series i mean you're really really in that for multiple decades likely spanning that period of time which yeah you you have to know a lot in order to do that and I, that makes me feel like I probably couldn't do that because <laughs> there's just so much to it. Like, I I don't know, you would have to do a lot, a lot, a lot of research and or have a lot of connections that can fill you in on that research, too. Yeah, or somehow write a really good story and get picked up by an awesome publisher who's going to be able to fact check a lot of that mm -hmm. and or have a team that can help go through and fact check and edit and make it even better. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, also along those lines, um, maybe just have a lot of money and visit those places too. Just immerse yourself in that culture. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that is also a big part of it. I do think about that with the authors and I think, wow, they must have had to have spent a lot of time there, especially if they weren't from there, but they're writing about that setting or location. I would want to as an mm -hmm. author. 
go to those places. I mean, I guess that's not entirely possible, but I would want to. Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, just to like see, I mean, pro probably at this point, a lot of it is like ruins, especially if you're going like way back in time. But I think it's important to see even just like architecture from that time period to know, oh, these are the buildings people walked through, or this is what this once used to be or whatever the case may be. It would be helpful. And I know this is getting harder and harder with a lot of those historical events and obviously the further you go back, but it would be helpful to be able to talk to people like for World War II, for example, be helpful to talk to people that actually were in those locations or experienced that, but that's becoming more challenging. Yes, because man, time is flying and we're getting older and everyone else is too. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So. Okay. Hit us with your books, Bree. I want to know what your your recommendations are. Okay. Yeah. So these are all books that I have read and would recommend. Uh, I'll go ahead and just start by saying The Nightingale. We talked about it by Chris and Hannah. We did like four episodes on it because it's a bigger book. Um, but if you like World War II historical fiction, I would highly recommend that book. It is a tearjerker. Um, it's going to take you through the German occupation in World War II, and it follows two sisters and both of their separate experiences, but juxtaposed um, because they have quite different experiences throughout the war. It is, I think, one of the most beautiful books, even though it's so sad and so depressing and you will bawl your eyes out, but I, if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. I've read it four times. I know Megan has said she probably won't ever read it again, but still, <laughs> <I can't. laughs> but still enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy that book. Um, yeah, it is just, you have to read that. But yes, World War II book, highly, highly recommend. I also like with that one specifically, and I'm sure we talked about this on our like actual podcast episodes, but I love that it's the perspective that it's happening in France. Because I think a lot of World War II, it's like, the Germans, the Polish, the Russians, like it's a lot of other European countries that were obviously very highly affected, but I'd like to hear the perspective of what it was like in Paris, France, as that was happening. Well, let me give you some more with my <laughs> next recommendation. Um, <laughs> on the Nightingale note, um, they it has been in the talks for a long time to be developed and adapted into a movie. And Kristen Hanna actually recently came out and said that there was more movement on that. So that's super exciting because honestly, at this point, I thought it was just a no-go forever and that it just wasn't going to happen. And it sounds like things are finally moving in a direction for that to be adapted or completed. Do you know anything further about casting? Because I think at one point it was supposed to be the Fanning sisters and you and I did not like that idea. <laughs> I still don't like that idea. I don't know. Okay. Um, I feel like she was intentionally vague because that industry still can have so many things change. <laughs> but so I don't know. I don't know. But we'll Where see. You? Yay. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of World War II in France, I have another recommendation for you, but it's also World War One and mm -hmm. the 1960s. So this book takes place in three different timelines, but all in and around Paris, France. And it is called All the Ways We Said Goodbye by 
three authors, oh. Beatrice Williams, Lauren Willig, and Karen White. So all three women wrote this book. And it tells the story of three different women in France. First, in 1914, the Germans arrive at Aurelie's family estate to use it as headquarters. And Aurelie is surprised to find that she knows one of the German men, like they've actually met before. She knows who he is. He's there. And although they're on different sides of the war, like they can't help this friendship and then love that transpires between the two of them. But through a series of events, Aureli must return to Paris to be with her American mother who lives at the Ritz, the oh. hotel. And in 1942, Daisy lives in Paris with her daughter and husband, and her husband is a Nazi collaborator. Mm -hmm. Although hesitant, Daisy ends up joining the resistance with her grandmother who lives in the Ritz. Oh, yes. And in 1964, Babs searches for more information on a woman called Lafleur with an American lawyer named Drew. Their investigation takes them to the Ritz in Paris to find out her husband's connections to Lafleur, the resistance fighter. Ooh. Yes. So it's been a while since I read it, but I still am very the story is like so interesting. I love that it follows three different women that, and their experiences. And I think I just gravitate toward like the hero heroic women in World War II. Oh, for sure. Such, it, it, it's such a morbid and sad time period. And I think that that's part of the reason we like the, the powerful stories of even though they're fictional women, like a lot of them represent real people that did important things during unfathomable times mm -hmm. so all the ways we said goodbye is a book i would definitely recommend okay do you know sorry to interrupt did each author write about a specific woman is that their collaboration know. okay i don't know i kind of assume so because that makes sense mm -hmm. although they all sort of connect um, those authors, I believe have written together before. I don't, don't 100% quote me on that, but I do think that they have other books together or at least two of them do. So cool. I love that. I'll have to pick that up or add it to my Goodreads. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. So other World War II mentions that I just wanted to throw out there, but not go in depth on are all the light we cannot see, which We've talked about on this podcast before, too, because both of us really like that book. It's also a Netflix series as well, but another war story. That's a good one. And then I would also say the Guernsey, Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, uh, which is a mouthful. Um, but this also takes place during World War II and is a very neat story about a group and like their club and how they hide this club from the Germans. And that's kind of where you get this potato peel pie society. I remember the first time I told someone I was reading this and they were like, that sounds so bizarre. <laughs> and then when I started to say what it was about, they're like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Um, it is also a movie on Netflix too, oh. but read the book and then watch the movie. <laughs> yes. Okay, my last one is Outlander because I was trying to think of what I've read that was outside of World War One and Two. 
This book technically starts in World War II following um, Claire Randall. So she was a British combat nurse during World War II. And right after the war, she's actually headed to Scotland with her husband, Frank. Making sure I'm like remembering names properly. <laughs> um, they head to Scotland. And this book, historical fiction, yes, but there is sort of the magical fantasy, magical realism and fantasy aspect of it. Because through a series of events, Claire ends up in the 1700s in the Scotland Highlands. And that is not a great time um, between the Brits and the clans of Scotland. They are on the brink of war. Essentially, the British are like occupying the clan lands. And to be a British woman in the midst of all of that is not a great position. Um, but she ends up sort of kind of against her will, but also like it's the safest place to be gets taken in by um, this clan and develops uh, what starts as a friendship and really a means of safety with a man named Jamie. And soon she is torn between her times and two men in the midst of a war that is approaching, but not World War II, a different war. <laughs> <laughs> a different war. Um, is Outlander is, is a series, right? On a, a series of books. It's not just a series on Netflix and stars. Correct. I want to okay. say there are eight books. Okay. There might be, there might actually be more. I don't have all of the books yet. Um, keyword yet. <laughs> word yet. Um, but uh, yeah, but I do the ser the actual, so it's a star series, but some of it is on Netflix um, and they are about to be done, but I don't think the book series is finished. Oh. Um, so it'll be interesting to see sort of how that wraps up. And, but yeah, highly, highly recommend. It is, um, the one thing I will say is that the language with the Scottish dialogue can at times be like hard to understand. Mm, okay. um, so there were some, and I would recommend reading it, like if you want to read it, even though the show is very, very, very good. Um, but all of that said, it did help to hear some people speak with that accent and then also read parts of it just because mm -hmm. I could kind of piece together the words a, a bit better, but it's a great book and it's a great show, <laughs> especially seasons one, two, and three. <laughs> that Perfect. Was All right, your turn. Okay, my turn. So I have, I also wrote three books. Two of them are part of I wouldn't necessarily call it a series, but they're like a continuation of each other. So let me start with one that's not that. Okay. First is Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which like, oh my God, if you want to cry your eyes out from any of these, this is definitely the one to do it. Um, trigger warning, children. Children, that's all I'm going to say. Um, obviously, it's a World War II book. Um, the stripes dealing specifically with concentration camp. It's a ter or I was going to say terrific, horrific visual um, of what's to come. But I I'm saying it's it's most easily summarized as a young German boy befriends a boy 
on the opposite side of the fence, so to speak. So um, the German boy's father, I think, is in some position where he is either the commander or overseer of this particular concentration camp. And um, the boys are so wrapped in innocence, um, even the one that is in the concentration camp, that all they know is playing with each other and they like talking to each other through the fence um, and neither know their true fate of what is to happen within the gates of that camp. And I won't say anything else because I'm going to cry. Right now. <laughs> I'm um, about to cry just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> it's, it is an, an awful book. It is a beautiful book. It is a heartfelt book. It is again, like one that I think I, I feel like you have to read it to really understand. I think it is, important that it's from a perspective of a child because it proves just how innocent all of these people were regardless on what side that they were on of this war and um yeah it's just it's a horrible wonderful book it is, it is truly heartbreaking um that i mean that's one that i read it once and i've seen the movie and i i don't know i think it's so important that is a book that I think it's so important for just about anyone to read and or watch the movie, but it is heartbreaking. I Did you ever have to watch that in a class? I didn't watch it in a class, but I feel like I did read it like in high school. I know we read it and I also remember, I can't, I want to say it was in high school, but it might've been early in college that I was taking a class where we were going to watch it Ugh. and I, and I was sitting there and I was like, I've already seen this and I really don't feel like having a total meltdown yeah. in front of all of these people, but that happened regardless because <laughs> we watched it anyways. And, um, yeah, it is, it's a must if you haven't, and if you have, then you know what we're talking about. and. Can really one of, it's yeah it's just one of those books that sticks with you and i was also going to mention night by i think it's ellie weitzel but that's a memoir so it's technically it's historical but it's not historical fiction <laughs> because it's a factual book but that one i also remember being just as jarring because again it's it's kids i mean these are little innocent babies who do not deserve to be in these situations at all. So it will stick with you for a long time. It's a life-changing book in a very sad, horrible way. <laughs> and again, I'm laughing because I don't know what else to do with all these emotions. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, okay. So sorry that we're, World War II, dark, horrible, horrible time. Um, okay. So then my other two, as I mentioned, somewhat a series it's the same author but it's written so that a character is mentioned in the first book and then the continuation of her story continues in the second book so we'll call it a series if you will um so the first one is the tattooist of oswich which if you have not read that um these are by heather morris um and the tattooist is a is a prisoner of oswich the camp and he's discovered to speak several different languages which is why he's chosen to become a tattooist um it's not a job he wanted but because he can 
tell people who are being imported as cattle from all of these other countries in Europe to these concentration camps, he's able to communicate with them and kind of tell them what's going on. Um, and so he is the, the tattooist of that camp. Um, and we see through his perspective in this particular novel, just the horrors of Auschwitz, um, everything that happens there. In, in a lighthearted way, there's also love that happens there too. It's it's very much bypassed by all of the negative stuff, but there, there is an important factor of what life was like before and what how people were trying to make do with everything that they had in those circumstances. Um, and so that part is really beautiful in, in a very sad, sad, dark time. Um, so the second book is called, and I had to look up several times how to pronounce her name, but it's Silka's Journey. And she is um, mentioned in the first book as a, a prisoner of this camp, but her journey begins after the prisoners have been freed. So USA and Russia has come in and stopped all of the Germans. Um, however, the prisoners are freed. They now have to figure out how to get home to their own countries where there's basically nothing but devastation left. They are already, I mean, just dilapidated people. There's nothing left of them. So most of them will die on this journey trying to get out of the concentration camps. Um, and now this particular part of the world is in the hands of Russia. So we've kind of gone from one evil to the next, even though they're kind of posing as these saviors in these situations. And so it's um, Silka's journey of trying to get back to her homeland um, where she just encounters every different aspect of how to kind of deal and manipulate and outwit these Russian soldiers, other German soldiers who still haven't quite gotten it together yet, um, and how to communicate with those around her to help them also find their families. So those are my two books, or three books, I guess I should say. <laughs> I need to read both of those they've both yes. been on my list for a while and I just yeah haven't done it I don't know even though I love all of love is like a, not the right word but you know what I'm saying yes I don't know I just feel like it's also it's super important too and I just don't want anyone to ever like lose out on the opportunity to read those stories because I as there's just an importance factor between hot behind all of those, even if they're historical fiction. And mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that's being lost like today. Lost uh, or, or erased. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of even like in our American history, like the presence of slavery. And I can tell you that I read, I have read a ton of books on slavery. Like it's horrible. And again, I think it's just one of those genres that I gravitate to because it's so horrible. I like have to know more. And I remember growing up reading, you know, you probably did too, like the, my name is America novels. And it's oh all about that. Yes. I, maybe that's why we're like still so fascinated because we both loved those. That Even like the American girl books. I'm like, oh, yes, yeah. tell me more. <laughs> I know. Maybe it's because I don't have kids, but I'm like, is anyone reading? those because even from a fictional aspect at least it would introduce you to those topics and then just know that things go like way beyond what is presented to you in school mm -hmm. and it's super important to figure yeah. that out even on a fictional level because there are real things that happen and all of those things really happen to real people 
But I think like the best part of it being fiction, and especially, you know, like the My Name is America books, for example, they're very heavily young adult, but I think that they pique your interest to want to do more research, yep. to want to dig in deeper and know what happened around you, regardless of what time period it was. They are an introduction for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then a couple of other just authors I wanted to mention, um, two authors that I particularly love and enjoy. Um, so Celeste Ng, her books are technically historical fiction because they're based in the 90s. <laughs> um, so Little Fires Everywhere and Everything I Never Told You, um, as well as Our Missing Hearts, I think was 90s. No, that's, a, that's future. Oh, futuristic. You're right. You're right. You're right. But hey, future historical fiction. <laughs> um, but the, the other two I mentioned were, um, yeah, definitely based in the 90s. You can tell just like the, the things that kids do after school or, you know, whatever their homework assignment was like that's you can tell that that's that time period. And then Taylor Jenkins Reid, Taylor Jenkins Reid, of course. Yes. Lots. I think almost all of her books are our historical fiction. So um, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo was based in like kind of that, what, 1950s old Hollywood glam. Um, Carrie Soto is back, which I'm still reading, is about a uh, female tennis player based in the 90s. That's when she was coming up. Um, and then one of our podcast reads, Daisy Jones and the Six. 70s, baby. So true. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. Her books, or at least like her really popular ones are have a historical fiction element to them. Mm -hmm. um, I know some of her older stuff, like Forever Interrupted, which might have been her first book, if I'm recalling that correctly. That is like a present day book. Mm, okay. But other than that, yeah. Oh, Daisy Jones and the Sick, still. <laughs> so good. So good. Such a good book. Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is really good too. And I haven't read Carrie Soto's back, but I have it. Yes, I do too. I'm working on it. <laughs> In the midst of literally all of our reading. I know. Um, the number of books I'm reading right now is, is a lot. And I don't know. I feel like we talked about this. I don't know how you can do that because I'm very much like, I have to start it, finish it, then move I move on to the next. If I'm reading too many, I'm just like, I, I don't even know what's happening. I can't keep up with myself. <laughs> you probably don't want to know that I'm like tandem reading to like, so I'm, re I mean, I'm reading like five books oh my right God. now, but two of them are in the same series. And have you not you need to look at our Instagram. I think, I think <laughs> I did. I think okay. I, did. I, saw so I literally flipped like every couple of chapters or so, and I go back to the other book, and then I read until my tab, and then I go back to the other book, oh and then I read God. until my tab, and then I go back to my other book. It's, and it's great. <laughs> I, <laughs> it is a good time. The only oh. thing is that they're they're big books, so like when I'm taking them places right now, I have to carry these like huge books with me to be like walking around. But oh my gosh, fun. see, I um, I have a really bad problem where I I'll start a bunch of different books and then I'll just be like I'm good and then I'll come back to it at another time <laughs> so I wouldn't call that tandem reading it's just like I started it and then I've moved on completely to the next book <laughs> no I well I don't even think of it I guess it still is but I don't think of it as tandem reading if I'm reading like like all four of these different books but the two that are in the same series that I'm literally reading like 
intentionally back mm -hmm. and forth that I count. I'm like, okay, that's tandem reading. So, so why, what's the, why are you doing it? What's the point? <laughs> um, so, so technically the two books take place at the same time, but they're following two sets of characters and like two different groups of characters that they have all been in the books leading up. And now just for these two, they've separated and have gone to like different places and separate things are happening. So you sort of read it in a way that you can like simultaneously know what's happening to all mm -hmm. groups. Interesting. Um, as the time. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that makes more sense than yeah. if you were just like, I'm just going to keep flipping back and forth. <laughs> no, there is actual reason behind it. Okay. Like, no, I get why from the outside. Jared told me I was a huge nerd <laughs> and I told him there was a huge he community is. of people that were doing it too. <laughs> yes. But I would also argue he is a huge nerd. <laughs> he is a huge nerd. And on that note, so I've been trying to get him to start this series and he says he's going to. And he was like, well, will you just leave your tabs there so that I can like tandem read it when I get to that point too? And I was like, you don't get to call me a nerd and then be like, but by the way. Yeah. But by the way, I like what you're doing and I'd like to keep doing it too. <laughs> so uh, um, yeah. So it's been a journey. It's, it's been a journey. Um, um, Stay tuned, I guess, or don't. <laughs> or don't, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, okay, well, when is this episode coming out? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, coming up on Narratives and Nightcaps, now that we just really went off, I kind of forgot we were recording. Um, we are talking to our guest author, Ginny Meyer-Sane, who has a book coming out in March, on March 5th, if I'm recalling that correctly. So her next book, I'm super excited to talk with her. I've met her one time and she wanted to come on the podcast. We wanted to have her. So that's going to be awesome. Definitely look out for that episode and we have a new book for next month coming soon we're talking about a likely story by it's a three three name author you know, uh lee mcmullen abramson i knew it was three i knew it's what it started with um so we're talking about a likely story and then our mini app will be talking about coming of age books and our recommendations or wants want to read what so wants to read and yeah so that's all coming up next month we hope you'll tune in all right cheers cheers <laughs>